You'd think if I was willing to sacrifice taking the offering to get to the sermon sooner, it would be a sermon I'm really looking forward to preach, but I'm not. This letter to the church at Sardis is the most difficult, I think, of all the letters that Jesus wrote to the seven churches. It is the most potentially condemning, I believe, of the modern church. Uh, So hear this letter and see if you might agree with me. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars I know, and the seven stars, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Have you ever had that experience of, you know, watching a loved one and they're very quiet, looks like they're asleep, but it also looks like they might be dead and you can't really tell the difference? And and some people, you know, have that trick of holding the mirror up under their nose to see if it fogs. I, I tend to watch their chest to see if maybe it's still going in and out to see if they're alive. And if you really can't discern it with those methods, what do you do? You poke them, and you see if if they respond, and if they respond after a few pokes, they are still alive, which is a good thing, and if not, um, you call, you make a few phone calls. But that's the way this church at Sardis was. You looked at it, and you couldn't tell if it was dead or alive. At least that was Christ's perspective. Many people outside the church thought it was very much alive. It says here it has a reputation of being alive, but is dead. Well, if you have a reputation of being alive, but Jesus sees you as dead, how do you know? So this, this passage and this, preparing this sermon has been a little bit of an undoing for me. It is, it's been overwhelming because I, I read this and I wonder, hmm, am I alive or dead? Are we alive or dead? Are we, are we falling into a complacency in our walk with Christ that, that is dangerous to us? Or are we doing okay? Well, the church at Sardis thought they were fine, and the Lord says, no, you're not. Now, first, I'd like to tell you a little bit about the city. Sardis was a, a very um, important city. It was up on uh, cliffs. So three sides of Sardis were tall cliffs. So it was considered a very impenetrable city that you could guard just one side of the city and feel safe. So Sardis did feel safe. It was actually the capital of the region of Lydia for many centuries. And the story is of, I don't know, now, the commentator says there's a phrase, as wealthy as Croesus, ever hear it? I don't know where they get their stuff. But anyway, uh, we do know about Midas, right? 
Midas, the one who wished that everything he touched turned to gold, and he did, and then every time he tried to eat an apple, it would turn to gold, and it would hurt his teeth, etc. But there was a lot of wealth involved in that story, of course, probably not true. But the story then goes on to say that Midas went to the river upstream from Sardis, and that was the answer to his problem to wash off in this river, and the gold then went into the river. And that river flows into Sardis, and indeed there was gold in the river that flows through Sardis. It was a wealthy place, an important place. And then Croesus was the, the emperor of, or the king of, of Sardis, and that's where the phrase that some people use that I've never heard of and neither of you came from, as wealthy as Croesus. But Croesus was also a very confident leader, with good reason. He, again, he lived in a city that was well protected by these high cliffs on three sides, and all they had to do was guard the one side. But the emperor, or the king of Syria, wanted to overtake Sardis. And in 547 BC, had one of had his soldiers watching the walls. And one soldier was charged with the job of figuring out a way to get into the city and watch these, these cliffs every day. And one day saw one of the... Now, is it Sardinian? Sardian? Sardine? I, I don't know. I, I Honestly, one of the sermons I listened to, it really sounded like the guy was saying sardines every time he talked about these people, but that's a whole other story and really not worth our time. <laughs> anyway, watching these cliffs, saw a Sardinian, my choice, I have no idea what really, a soldier drop his helmet down the side of the cliff and it landed on uh, an outcropping there and watched this guy come down the side of this cliff. Being from there, he knew the path and went back up with his helmet. And that is how the Syrian soldier knew the path up to overtake Sardis. And in 547 BC, Sardis was overtaken by the Syrians. 200 years later, it happened again. Now we can think, how silly, why don't you guard your, your cliffs? You know, 300 some years, or 200 years ago this happened, and then now in, in this time of Sardis, we could say, 400 years ago your city was overtaken. Well, you know, after 400 years you tend to forget. I forget after 10 minutes, but that's something else too. These folks had a very real reason to feel confident they were wealthy, really wealthy. They were powerful, very powerful. And the city of Sardis, in, in this letter, we don't see any of those challenges like we do in those other letters. There was no um, Nicolaitans trying to undermine their, the, the truth of their faith. There was no woman named Jezebel uh, causing them problems. They, were, they really had everything in place to do well as a church. But they are the ones that Jesus says are dead. What they need to be the church is not in place. And of course, 
we sort of know what that looks like. A church that has all the, you know, the right structure, the building, the maybe good um, leadership model, maybe some good programs that look good. There's one church I know of that um, they, they hired a new youth minister, and I was talking to him one day, and he said, this is the first church I know that doesn't really ask me to have any Bible study or talk about Jesus at youth group. Now, they had 100 kids, but no scriptural lessons, no encouragement to walk with God. And we think, how ridiculous is that? Now, you may have heard recently about the um, United Church of Canada, and one of their pastors was in trouble because she decided that she didn't believe in God anymore, and that's her, her, her sermons really reflect that she doesn't believe in God anymore. And there were some people concerned about this, so they, they went to the higher-ups, and it took a number of years for them to figure this out. But the United Church of Canada, being open-minded, said, it's okay, no biggie. Let her keep her ordination and continue to serve the church as a person who doesn't believe in God. Now... You put the mirror up under the nose of that church and you say, there's nothing there. (laughs) But sometimes it's far more subtle than that. We wonder, how can a church get to the point where they would say, it's okay for an atheist to lead our people? Isn't the whole point of the church, and the answer is yes, to guide people to know God and believe in God? and trust God and serve God? Yes. But you can have so much of the structure of the church and even the idea of service, doing nice things for people, doing good, and there's nothing wrong with doing good. There's nothing wrong with having a good church structure, but if it is empty of the Holy Spirit, if it is empty of relationship with God, it is dead. Dead in regard to being of any value to the kingdom of God, and it is the kingdom of God that the church is called to serve and to represent in this world. What are they to do? Well, Jesus says, Wake up. Verse 2 Wake up. Pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on. Pay attention to what's going on in your own heart. Pay attention to what's going on in your church. You know, I heard a story yesterday of a family that struggled very difficult circumstances and look back and remember that that was the most, one of the happiest times of their lives. That happens to all of us. And yet, we don't want that, do we? but it is often the ease of our lives that causes us to have a deadening of our spirits. We, generally speaking, and I'm not trying to blanket us all, I know some of you are dealing with some very difficult things, but for many of us, our lives are fairly easy. And it is in those situations that we are most likely to let our passion for the Lord fade, our commitment to serving God fade, because everything is working fine. Be careful. 
friend of mine travels the world, and uh, in one of her travels, she was in a very uh, poor South American country, and someone came to her and said, oh, you're from the United States, I'm so sorry, you're a Christian in the United States. That must be so hard. My friend looking at the poverty around her, these people didn't even have a church building, they didn't have running water, said, what do you mean, it's hard. Life in the United States is easy, especially compared with what you deal with. And the person said, oh, I would never want to be a Christian in the United States. When you have so much, it's so hard to fully trust God. We have to trust God because we have nothing else. We, as those who have so much, need to guard our hearts and our spirits. Jesus tells them, remember what you have received and heard. And this is a message we've seen before in some of these letters to the churches. Remember, remember, remember who you are in Christ. Remember what you have received in Christ. The message of salvation, the message of God's Holy Spirit indwelling you. Remember the life that is promised you in Christ, the new identity that you have in Christ. All the other stuff goes aside when you can have a relationship with God. Remember this, Jesus tells the church. Hold on and repent. And as I've said before, repent just means turn around. If you have become um, enamored by the glitter of the world around you, if you have become um, satisfied with the things that come so easily to us, or maybe dissatisfied, believing that the more of those things would make your heart feel full, Turn around. Turn around and look into the face of Jesus Christ and find life there. The only real life. Remember. Remember what you have received and heard. Remember that you have received the love of God. You have received forgiveness for your sins. You have received a calling upon your life to represent the kingdom of God, to share the love of God with the world and with each other. 2 Timothy 3.5 says, They have a form of godliness but deny its power. Don't forget the power of God. God is willing to work in and through you by his Holy Spirit in ways that you can never do yourself. That's what God desires. I want to read to you a passage from the Screwtape Letters. I mentioned this uh, early on in my time here. A uh, book by C.S. Lewis. Again, it's a book you have to read sort of backwards in a way, uh, or upside down, or however. Anyway, it's the good is bad and the bad is good. The evil is um, considered to be God. The enemy is God in this book because the book is a, a story of one demon speaking to another. And here's what the demon screw tape says to the demon Wormwood, who has an assignment to undo the faith 
of a Christian. And this Christian has started slowly but surely becoming complacent in his faith and failing to trust fully in God. And this is what Screwtape says. I am, I am glad to hear that he is still a churchgoer. I know there are dangers in this, but anything is better than he should release the break that he has with the first months of his Christian life. As long as he retains externality, externally the habits of a Christian, he can still be made to think of himself as one who has adopted a few new friends and amusements, but whose spiritual state is much the same as it was six weeks ago. And while he thinks that, we do not have to control with the explicit repentance of a definite, fully recognized sin, but only with his vague, though uneasy feeling that he hasn't been doing very well lately. This dim uneasiness needs careful handling. If it gets too strong, it might wake him up and spoil the whole game. You will say that these I'm skipping a bit. You will say that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you're anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, again, God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. The road to hell is a gentle one, soft underfoot. In other words, the road to hell is the road of not paying attention, the road of letting your walk with God drift. And that's what has happened to the church in Sardis. They become complacent, and Jesus says, it's like they're dead. Let us not, not let that be true of us. Psalm 51 is a psalm of David after he had sinned and prophet Nathan came to him and David's heart turned back to the Lord and he says this, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Let us pray. Lord God, sometimes we think we know ourselves when we don't. We think we're in one place when we're in another. And for those of us, Lord, who think we're in a good place with you but are not, please, Wake us up. And we pray that prayer of David, that you do the work in us to create in us a pure heart. Renew a faithful spirit within us. 
please do not throw, cast us away from your presence. Please do not take your Holy Spirit from us. Return to us the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within us. Lord God, we pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would breathe life into the dead places. Help us to become strong. Help us to trust you more. And as we come to this table, we pray that you would minister to us, for it is in Jesus Christ that we find life. So in his body, broken, we are nourished to be the body of Christ in this world. And in this cup poured out, his blood poured out, poured out, and then we bring it into our bodies and it courses through our veins, bringing new life to us. We pray that you would nourish us in this sacrament to renew our hearts, renew our spirits, renew our passion for you. May this bread be for us the body of Christ. May this cup be for us the blood of Christ. And we thank you for this table. We thank you for your work of redemption and pray that you would continue to guide us to life, life in you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.